I'm not 
25 minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
המלכים, הקדוש ברוך הוא. צאתכם לשלום, מלאכי השלום, מלאכי אביון, ממלך מלכי המלכים, הקדוש ברוך הוא. צאתכם לשלום,
J.M. in the A.M. Yankee Lemmer with that one here on a uh, Friday morning air of Shabbos. Um, where are we? <laughs> where are we? I think we're in our in our headquarters here at the Nachum Siegel Network, aren't we? Uh, you're Achmiel Begana, Miami with Filat Chupa and Dor Dor off of the Forever album. You heard Bitachon with Shalom Aleichem, Tzayshem Shalom and Boi Shalom both by the Moshav Band, Avramol, Avram Fried had Shalom Aleichem, and of course, Regesh Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. Welcome to our Friday on this June 22nd, day nine in the month of Tammuz, the year 5778, Tavshinai and Ches, of Shabbos Parshas Chukas, with candlelighting time at 8.10. 8.10, your official candlelighting time. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start. Where you are, 68 degrees outside with 85% humidity. Winds are east at 6 miles an hour. Cloudy today with a high of 75. Then tonight, showers late in the low 64. Tomorrow, thunderstorms, a high temperature, 71 degrees. Rushalayim right now at 85. We're at 68 here in New York City as we say good morning on a Friday here at JM in the AM. Exciting day. Lots of news. Lots of stuff going on. We've got the uh, weekly update happening. Rabbi Tarragon is going to be joining us uh, in the 7 o'clock hour from Israel. Oh, I think he's actually landed already in the U.S., so I guess officially he'll be here in the U.S. when he joins us. And plenty more happening on this Friday between now and 9 a.m. And then, of course, we kick off our amazing and incredible Friday morning and afternoon schedule, which is always, always wonderful. So there you have it. I thank you very much for tuning in. It's the... uh, it's the final day of the work week, and a lot of people already have finished their school year. A lot of folks are on their way to camp. A lot of people are spending the day on the road heading to the Catskills region and uh, other places. All we could say is one thing. Wherever you are and wherever you're going, make sure you take along us, the Nahum Siegel Network. Make sure it's in your phone, and make sure you're tuned in as much as possible. It will only enhance your day, your ride, your entire experience. More coming up. Yaakov Shweki at JM in the AM. Oh, <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
When the worries and fears are erased Where the broken hearts are mended And the miracles never end Where children run free All the nations find peace And the world is a happy place Oh, when will it be? Perfect world when when How I wait for the day I hope and I pray I'll never give up as long as it takes until we wake and see a perfect world when a when Jam in the AM. It was a pleasure discussing that song and so many others with Yaakov Shweki earlier in the week. I remind those of you who love the brand new Jewish music, who love the live music alerts like yesterday with Yehuda Green. Don't forget that today is the final, uh, the first, I should say, of the final two Fridays of our spring fundraiser. Those of you who have not yet participated we are asking everybody to dig deep and support JM and the AM and the Nachum Single Network as we uh, continue to provide this amazing and incredible live radio show and wonderful 24-hour programming every single day. It is remarkable, frankly, that anybody is doing it, and I take great pride that we are doing it. Uh, if you have not yet contributed during our May-June fundraiser, Again, this is the first of the final two Fridays of the Spring Fundraiser, and we ask you to be as generous as possible. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Participate with us as best as you can. Uh, Many people uh, over the last few days, I've been to a lot of weddings and events, and many people have discussed with me how the appropriate contribution to us um, would be $360. Not only the 20 times high, but also the uh, the $1 per day for the entire year because we are here literally every single day and we hope that everybody out there will use the opportunity to support us as best they can. Go to fjbunity.org. That's how you do it, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. You can support us in that manner. You can support us by returning the envelope that we sent to you in the mail if you're one of the uh, people on our mailing list. Uh, so you could do that, which would be wonderful. 
Just return the envelope or go to fjbunity.org. And of course, if you want to just send in a contribution, the checks are made payable to Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting. Again, it's Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting and the address 551 Grand Street, New York, New York, 1002. Again, it's 551 Grand Street, New York, New York, 1002. And uh, it's the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting. If you want, on the envelope, you could specify second floor, suite number three, second floor, suite number three. But that's one of the methods of giving, and we hope that everybody out there, in fact, will give and uh, join us uh, together as uh, people completely dedicated to JMNAM and the Nahum Siegel Network. It is amazing that we're available at the touch of a button. And this summer, you'll feel it. This summer, you'll feel it when you're somewhere and you go like, wow, I'd love to be connected to where to where I'm from and connected to, to my people and to the state of Israel, etc. And you'll press the button on your phone, right? No, no need to schlep along anything. No radio, no satellite contraption, nothing. <laughs> and, and you'll say, wow, this is pretty cool. So again, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org for the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, fjbunity.org. Also, you can return the envelope if you're on the mailing list. And lastly, if you want to make the check payable to Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, it goes to 551 Grand Street, second floor, suite number three, New York, New York, 1002, and I thank you. JM in the AM with this from Yitzchak Fuchs.
שתי שבתות, מיד נגעלים. שתי שבתות, נגעלים. Come on, 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 come on,
place for brand new Jewish music is right here at JMNAM. Again, a reminder, those of you who have not yet participated in our spring fundraiser, the uh, first of the two final Fridays, go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. And I acknowledge those who are uh, commenting on our app. It's amazing that we have an app where you can actually comment and be part of the broadcast on a daily basis. It's one of the things we really take pride in. So uh, number one, uh, Erev Shabbat Tov to um, uh, to Malki, who's checked in on the app with that message. Listener Devorah says, we're wishing the Yad Binyamin Wolves good luck in their quest for the Southern Championship today against the Beit Shemesh Mavericks. They had a terrific season. Shabbat Shalom, and I'll say Shabbat Shalom to both teams. And listener Terry, she says, good morning. With all my travels, I appreciate the constants in my life, like NSN. It is always a click away. Thank you, Terry. Everybody out there, if you feel the same way, now we're always there, and we certainly are, <laughs> even on a morning like today, where where I where I didn't know what was uh, what was flying earlier this morning. Um, then please, please give as generously as you can. FJBUnity.org, FJBUnity.org. Participate with us in the fundraiser. FJBUnity.org, and um, and again. Uh, if you'd like to, and you could return the envelope that has come to you in the mail if you're on our mailing list. And if you'd like to write to us directly, the uh, check is made payable to the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, 551 Grand Street, G-R-A-N-D, 551 Grand Street, second floor, suite number three, New York, New York, 1002. Excuse me, 1002. More brand new music and the best place for brand new Jewish music from Ari, Go- Ari Goldwag right here at JM in the AM. 
מס ביתי More brand new from Ari Goldwag. Don't forget, it is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. And don't forget, you can give generously right now. Participate in our spring fundraiser and let us know how much you love this show and how much you love this network. It's fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. That's how you donate. FJB for Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, fjbunity.org. Dot org. Before Ari Goldwag, you heard Yitzhak Fuchs with Shabbat Tot, Yaakov Shweki in there as well, as we said. 
Our news from Israel is coming up. It's Gali Tzal in the background as we get set. Don't forget the weekly update is around the corner, 7.40 Eastern Time. Weekly update with Malcolm Honline. He'll join us. Again, the weekly update with Malcolm Honline coming up here at JM in the AM about 7.40 this morning. Rabbi Tarragon is going to join us. He is in from Israel. We'll explain why. We'll have that for you about 15, 20 minutes from now right here at JM in the AM. Always a lot going on, I must say. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. We say Boker Tov from Jam Nam. כלי תקשורת בלבנון מדווחים כי הצבא הלבנוני פרק מתקן ריגול ישראלי. על פי הדיווח המתקן התגלה באזור הררי בפעתי הכפר שובה הסמוך לחרמון. כתבנו לעניינים ערביים ג'קי חוגי מוסר כי זו לא הפעם הראשונה שבה מדווחים הלבנונים על גילוי מתקני מעקב או האזנה ומייחסים אותם לישראל. ראש הממשלה נתניהו נפגש בשעה זו עם יועצו של הנשיא טראמפ ג'ארד קושנר והשליח המיוחד למזרח התיכון ג'ייסון גרינבלט, כתבתנו אליל שחר. בפגישה מציגים השליחים האמריקנים לנתניהו את תוכנית השלום של הנשיא טראמפ. גרינבלט וקושנר ביקרו קודם לכן בירדן, סעודיה וקטר, ושמעו הערות על פרטי התוכנית. הם לא צפויים להגיע לרמאללה במהלך הסיור האזורי בשל החרם שהכריז יושב ראש הרשות הפלסטינית אבו מאזן על ממשל טראמפ. שר הביטחון ליברמן נועד היום עם שרי ההגנה של יוון וקפריסין בניקוסיה, בירת קפריסין. בציוץ בחשבון הטוויטר שלו כתב ליברמן, מדינותינו משתפות פעולה לנוכח איומי הטרור הקיצוני שמתאמץ לערער את האזור. נמשיך להעמיק את היחסים החבריים בפסגה הבאה שנארח כאן בישראל, כך ליברמן. גבר בן 48 נהרג לאחר שנפל מגובה 12 קומות בקריית ים. מדובר ככל הנראה בתאונת עבודה. צוותי מד"א שהוזעקו למקום נאלצו לקבוע את מותו. האו"ם קורא לארצות הברית להפסיק את מעצרי ילדי המהגרים. כתבתנו אינה אנטונוב. נציבות זכויות האדם של האו"ם קרא לממשל טראמפ לתקן את המדיניות הנוכחית ולמצוא לה חלופות. דוברת הנציבות אמרה כי ההחלטה להפסיק את הפרדת הילדים מהוריהם ראויה להערכה. אם זאת מעתה ילדים ייעצרו יחד עם הוריהם, ואף ילד לא צריך לשבת במעצר בגלל שהוריו מהגרים. מצד הגאווה בחיפה מתקיים בשעות אלה וצפוי להסתיים בארבע אחרי הצהריים. הנה כמה מהחוגגים. צועדים וצועדות בשביל הזכויות שלנו! שגם לנו מגיע זכויות, כי אנחנו בדיוק כמו כל השאר! טבעונים, המון אנשים, הפסיפס החיפאי שאנחנו כך מכירים קורה כאן, יש פה שמחה גדולה, ואנחנו נצעד גם בשביל לחגוג וגם בשביל לדרוש את הזכויות שלנו שמגיעות לנו. חם פה, אבל רואים שאנשים אכפת להם, אנשים יצאו מהבית בשביל למחות על הזכויות שלהם. גביע העולם בכדורגל, רוסיה 2018, בעוד כשעה ייפתח יום המשחקים התשיעי בטורניר, שבמסגרת בית ה' נבחרת ברזיל תשחק נגד נבחרת קוסטה ריקה. בשעה 6 יושלם הסיבוב השני בבית ד', במשחק בין איסלנד לניגריה. ניצחון של האיסלנדים יגביר את סיכויי ההדחה של ארגנטינה. ובשעה 9 בערב נבחרת שווייץ תתמודד נגד נבחרת סרביה בבית ה'. ומזג האוויר מחר צפויה הקלה במידות החום, ביום ראשון, ללא שינוי. אלה החדשות שעורכת גל וייצנר, בצוות איתיאל דינר ויאיר בסט.
JM and AM Friday morning on this era of Shabbos with Miami, 22 minutes after the hour. Good morning, everyone. Candlelighting at 810 in New York. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are on this era of Shabbos, Parshas Chukas. JM and AM with a reminder, we're in the uh, final two days today and next Friday of our spring fundraiser. If you have not yet contributed and been part of this amazing and incredible radio project that uh, continues after 35 years. Uh, and you want to show the appreciation that, frankly, we deserve, uh, go to uh, fjbunity.org. FJBUnity, that's the website, FJB for Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, fjbunity.org. And be as generous as possible, and we thank you. Weekly update coming up just minutes from now. We'll have that with Malcolm Holmline joining us. First with us live via telephone, it's Rabbi Ruvain Tarragon. Rabbi Tarragon is the dean of Yeshiva Dakotel and Rosh BMP at Camp Moshevah Indian Orchard. And uh, he, again, has introduced to us the uh, Five Towns Community Collaborative Conference entitled Building Strong Families Together. Yeshiva Kotel and Israel Schools in conjunction with Five Towns, Far Rockaway, and West Hempstead Schools, Schools and Organizations invite everybody this coming Sunday to the 5th Annual Community-Wide Collaborative Morning Yomi Yun focused on how to educate and inspire our children. Happens this Coming Sunday at the Young Israel of Woodmere. The keynote is by Dr. Mayor Soloveitchik. Uh, and then, of course, uh, many, many distinguished uh, faculty members, rabbis, community leaders, etc., are going to be part of the entire um, morning Yom Iyon. The event is completely free. And um, with us live via telephone is Rabbi Ruvain Tarragon. Rabbi Tarragon, an honor to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Great to be speaking with you, Nachum, about such an important program. If it's the fifth annual one, then we know the first four were well worth it. Uh, tell us about the experiences of the first four of these programs. Well, we've had between five and 700 people, parents, singles, younger, older, at the different events last year. There were 700. Oh, yeah. What makes it special is that it brings together over 25 different speakers representing different organizations that work with the community who are all speaking about how to educate children, giving tips to parents on that. And so all that under one roof at the same time, combined with the unity factor, makes for a special program. And the added dimension that no money is taken, no money is earned uh, uh, by anyone, so people come free, the speakers speak for free, creates this really beautiful sense of learning about how to improve our families together. It's a total of 25 uh, presentations, uh, plus the keynote, and... Uh... It, one can only go to five of them the way the way the day is set up. Frankly, with the roster that you have, I don't think that's going to be sufficient for people. <laughs> well, we do record the shirim, and uh, we hope to upload them. But that having been said, it's really special to be part of it live and to be sharing these presentations together and just connecting with these very special speakers. All right, everybody out there has an opportunity to be there this coming Sunday. As we say, it's free of charge. Now, why was this founded? Why did we feel it was necessary to gather major communities together and focus on educating and inspiring our children? Well, Baruch Hashem, the five towns, as well as other communities, <clears throat> have wonderful organizations that work with them. And every week, you get more than one flyer, two or three flyers from each organization presenting their teachers, their Yomi Yun. We're flooded by it. So the thought was, maybe we could bring the rest of all these organizations together and show that even though we're all different and all emphasizing our own uniqueness, we can also emphasize together the 90 to 95% that we all share, that the challenges that are common to all of us. And so being able to do that together gives the community not only the opportunity to hear from the best together, 
but also to see that we all recognize that we're all working on the same challenges and towards the same goals. And that's, I think, part of the beauty of this program. Pretty amazing. Um, I guess one of the reasons that uh, so many of the uh, Israeli yeshivot and seminaries are partners with you is because this is their goal. Their goal is that when they get the students from us here in the U.S. and other parts of the world uh, for the year or two that they are in Israel, uh, they not only teach them and not only educate them and, 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 and further their own Talmudic and Jewish education, but they in fact inspire them, inspire them to the point where they will be great balabatim and great uh, and great um, uh, members of the community, frankly. And uh, I think sometimes that gets lost after all the academics. People forget that that's one of the main focuses, that we try as parents and as educators to really, and, and I should say also as camp leaders, that we really try to inspire the youth uh, so that they'll take on these roles and be really active members of the Jewish community years from now. A hundred percent. And I think the Yeshiva and Eretz Yisrael and the seminaries, we want to make a statement that we're all partners together at all the stages along the way. It's interesting that you mentioned camps. The camps are also part of the partners on this organization, and there are speakers here who represent different camps and bring that perspective to the table. I think the goal of this is for us all to see how we can work better when we're syncing with each other as opposed to working on our own. Well, it's an amazing program. The entire thing is free, everybody. It happens Sunday at the Young Israel of Woodmere. It's all happening Sunday morning, starting with Shacharis at 8.30. The roster of speakers is extremely uh, impressive, but it's long. How do people, so I don't have to read every single name on Hero by Tarragon, how do people access this list online? Well, you can go to our Facebook site, Five Towns Education Conference, um, and you have all the information there and available. And as far as it being long, you know, it's, Five slots of 30 minutes each. They're TED Talks. So you really don't get bored because you move from one to the other. Oh, I'm not accusing anybody of uh, any boredom. I'm simply saying that the, the list is so long and incredible. I mean, you have people here with amazing resumes, fantastic educational experience, and wonderful leadership experience. And I think there'll be a lot of people, as you said earlier, thank God it's being recorded. I'm, th- I'm sure there are a lot of people who want to hear who will want to hear more than just five speakers on Sunday. Uh, I hope it's a major success. It certainly seems like it's on its way to being, and I hope everybody in the five towns and the surrounding areas, and really from everywhere and anywhere in this listening area, uh, if you're available this coming Sunday morning, head on over to the Young Israel of Woodmere. It's really as simple as that. As the Five Towns Community Collaborative Conference takes place, the theme is building strong families together, and that's what it is, building uh, students, leaders, and families eventually um, in this amazing effort, an amazing collaborative effort among all of these educators. Rabbi Tarragon, I wish you the best of luck with this on Sunday, and thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much for having me, Nachum, and continue that luck with your wonderful program. I appreciate that, and we will have an opportunity at some point to speak to Rabbi Tarragon about Israel 70 and eventually Israel 71 and the unique Mizrahi program that he ran. We just don't have time for it this morning. Uh, Rabbi Tarragon, of course, is Dean of Yeshiva Dakotel, Rosh BMP at Camp Mosheva Indian Orchard, and... He is one of the leaders this coming Sunday at the Five Towns Community Collaborative Conference. We're recommending it to all. It's at the Young Israel of Woodmere, Shachris, 8.30 in the morning. First keynote by Rabbi Dr. Mayor Soloveitchik at 9.20, and the first session starts at 10 a.m. More coming up. You are listening to a Friday morning Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM, where I remind you, I remind everybody out there, that we are in the midst of our Final two days of our 5778 spring fundraiser. That's right, the final two days, today and next Friday. And I would hope everybody out there will take the opportunity to uh, go to their computer, their phone, however it is that you communicate with the web, 
and uh, go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. If you think this program is worthwhile and worthwhile supporting and you think this network keeps you company all through the day, every day, or any day, then please give what you can, fjbunity.org. We spoke earlier about the importance of the $360 donation, the $1 a day that so many people around the world would pay for content like this. And as the word spreads more and more, we'll be, we'll be utilizing this content on a daily basis. So please, whether it's that or any other amount, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Plus, I remind you that if you have an envelope from us, it means you are on our mailing list. Please get it back to us as soon as you can with a check made payable to Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting. And finally, those of you who just want to send in a donation, it's Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, 551 Grand Street, 551 Grand Street, G-R-A-N-D, 551 Grand Street, Suite 3, New York City, one Triple O two on our app. Someone says they're driving from Elizabeth to Southfield, Michigan, to Kyle Gruber's Ufruf and wedding this Sunday. Shabbat shalom, you all, and th- I say Shabbat shalom and thank you very much for listening. That is really cool. Um, and they want us to send regards to their son and family, Daniel from Atlanta. Oh, I think we know Daniel from Atlanta. Daniel from Atlanta is one of our great longtime listeners. Once we hit the web, years. And years and years ago, that's for sure. And Trucker Yitz is out there commenting as well. If you head to our app, you can see what he has to say on this Friday morning broadcast. Candle lighting at 810 in New York. More coming up. You are listening to JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. I love reading this on the app. People who are uh, in, uh, let's see, Yad Binyamin, Beit Shemesh, traveling, as I said earlier, from Elizabeth to Southfield, Michigan, and tuned in. Uh, someone here indicates that they are driving uh, to Providence from Scranton via Fallsburg today and tuned in to J.M. in the A.M. Thank you, thank you, thank you. On this Arab Shabbos Parshas, Chukas, candlelighting at 810. A big thank you to our friends at OnlySimplas.com. They continue to feature great material from us. On their amazing news feed, I recommend you check them out every single day. Why wouldn't you? Go to OnlySimplas.com for details. And, of course, JewishWorldReview.com uh, with thousands of articles about the Jewish world and Israel, etc. Uh, go to um, JewishWorldReview.com, print out all the articles you need before Shabbos, and check them out all week long for amazing material. And I remind everybody that uh, we are in the final two days, today and next Friday, of our spring fundraiser. If you haven't yet given and you want to see this program and our amazing network continue, on and on and on, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, fjb.
unity.org. And next week, we'll be hearing from somebody who's going to wrap up the fundraiser with me who is going to be very, very effective. I'm warning you in advance. Friday morning broadcast, JM and the AM. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of a conference of presidents of major American Jewish organizations. He joins us for the weekly update, fresh back from the state of Israel. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. Couldn't be more fresher back. I just don't know how fresh I am. But. <laughs> he literally just walked in the house, folks. Simple as that. I, and I'm sure you find as time goes on, these trips just get easier and easier, right? Of course. <laughs> yeah. If only that was true. Um, well, Malcolm, tell us about uh, your encounters with and your admiration for Charles Krauthammer, if you would. I had the opportunity to meet uh, Mr. Krauthammer several times. Um, but and corresponded with him on other occasions. He was brilliant, uh, as you know, very committed to Israel. Uh, grew up in, and, and even went to I think Yeshiva Flatbush at one point or other Yeshivot. Um, and uh, his voice was a very important one for us. And uh, people were wondering if he ever appeared on this program. And ironically. The only time he appeared on this program was as co-founder of the Pro Musica Hebraica, an organization dedicated to bringing neglected Jewish music to the concert hall. He was very involved in Jewish music, especially lost pieces. And he also has a very prominent cousin who's a rabbi in Petach Tikva. So he is really even much more connected to our community than people thought. And as you just said, such an effective and important voice. Uh, out there, and he will sorely be missed. There's, there's no question that at some point someone's going to say, boy, we could use his commentary on some issue. So he will certainly be missed. Lo- you, you, you're so right. A lot of news from Israel this week. Not a, um, not a pretty piece of news when we heard that a former minister in the Israeli government was accused of spying for Iran. Can you give us an update? You're just back from Israel. Can you give us an update about Gonen Segev? Yes, he, he did serve in the ministry. There, there has been a cloud over him for some time, and he was living, I think, in he was living in Africa and doing business there in the energy business, uh, uh, and was now accused of passing on information to the Iranians. And uh, as you know, in Israel, this is a very serious charge. He was captured trying to leave uh, to go to another uh, African country, Ghana, I think. Um, and uh, was stopped at the airport and deported, and will face trial in Israel. Wow! But it's a, it, it, it was shocking to people. I have to tell you, um, more than um, not because he was such of such repute, but because a minister and talking about transferring information to Iran is really. Uh, well, we get the idea, especially based on current events, we get the idea that that Israel has you know operatives. Uh, certainly around the world, and Iran is obvious because of what we saw with the Prime Minister's revelation about the uh, the nuclear material, etc. Uh, but what about the opposite? Are, are, do, do we feel that there, or do we know that there are, in fact, uh, you know, many rogue Israelis who, you know, are spying for Iran in countries like that? I don't think there are many. I mean, this is such an act of betrayal. Uh, it's it's also true of Americans. You don't see many Americans, but when you do, it becomes such a, a big story. You certainly don't see uh, former members of the cabinet or former um, members of Congress who engage in such activity. And similarly in Israel, you have individuals who sell out their country or sell out the interests, or in his case, he's now protesting that 
it was really not intention, intended to be espionage. Uh, whatever it is, it's, it, it is not a common occurrence. And it's uh, essential that people, you know, that the warning be sounded and people take it into account. And, and you know, when, when somebody of that stature or he, he was in government for a very short period of time um, engages in this activity, it's, it's especially shocking and, and gets a lot of coverage. But remember, it's a, it's a mute, you've been mute. It's a, yeah. it's a small, small minority that ever does these kind of things. We see it in our own country now with the investigations. The idea is that, or the suggestion even, that somebody could have, let's say, collaborated with the Russians or collaborated with somebody else against that government or undermining an election or anything of that kind causes, as it should, widespread uh, repugnance and repudiation. Uh, were you told by anybody, or was it reported in the press if it became public, what what type of information he gave to the Iranians? Or there were some reports, but I don't think that any of them are substantive enough right now for us to know. I'm sure more will come out. Hopefully, not too much if it's really secrets. But um, you remember, he was out of government already for a while, so right. it's not clear that he had such pertinent information. Hmm. And speaking of uh, indictments, what about? Sarah Netanyahu being charged that she uh, being indicted on the uh, with the charge that she uh, charged a hundred thousand dollars of meals to the state government. Um, what kind of trouble is she in, based on what you saw in Israel? Um, I actually saw the prime minister. I, I was with him when he got the news. Oh my gosh. Yes, but I won't describe that. Oh my uh, gosh. I won't deal with that. I mean, but uh, I will tell you that it is. Uh, I heard a lot of expressions of sympathy for them for what they were going through. I mean, you're talking about now the charges are a total of, in American currency, $100,000, and um, supposedly for meals that were ordered when they had a chef there, whatever. It's not, um, you know, people have not seen the kind of, of a serious charge that rouses public indignation I think people are sick and tired of all the investigations and the charges and, and on all sides of them for those involved and for those who are carrying it out. And the, uh, it is the obligation of an attorney general, if there is corruption, to, to point it out. And even though he is an, an appointee of Netanyahu and was very close to him and served as his cabinet secretary, it takes a lot of courage to, to pursue this. And, and But that's his obligation. And, and nobody wants us, uh, to see Israel or any other country, our own country, where corruption or any kind of misuse of, of state funds is tolerated. But on the other hand, you know, does it rise to the kind of, um, uh, you know, to, to the publicity? Although I was told that she was offered uh, deals, you know, where they could have made compensation on things and rejected it. So, the you know, she's also the butt of, of endless jokes and endless commentary. And as, you know, I've said many times in an American regard that once you get caught in the late-night comics and all of the online um, supposed humor, then it's very hard to get out of it. And, you know, it, it really destroys a person's integrity, their their image, their and even and if she's found not guilty, this, this will remain. So it was um, clearly very disturbing to the prime minister. It was very... Uh, uh, disturbing to others in government. People expected it. It was not a shock. It was no surprise that it was coming because everybody knew it was just a question of what hour. They even knew what day by uh, yesterday, the day before, it would come. 
and we'll see what the course is. Uh, the real question is what happens now regarding the prime minister's investi- the investigations of the prime minister, I should say, and how that will be handled. And when will that news be revealed? When when are those going to be? Nobody knows. It, you know, first of all, you have multiple cases that are being investigated, and the question is, do any of them rise to seriousness if there's not a charge of, you know, bribery or, or anything of that kind, um, it could, you know, for misjudgment or for questionable things, but not to that level, it will make a big difference. But we don't know yet what the charges are going to be. So unlike Prime Minister Rabin in the 1970s, he will not be resigning, meaning meaning Netanyahu, over the, uh, um, over the um, indictment of his wife. And nor even an indictment of himself, he said, that he would stay. If there's a conviction, he said, it's one thing, but even under indictment, there are those who challenged it. But even remember with Rabin, what was the charge? They had a bank account, I think, with $25,000 in the United States. Now, again, $25,000 may have been more than than it is today, but it was certainly not that significant amount of money. And, And they held an account without reporting it, and that could bring down a government. He felt compelled to resign. Times were very different, I guess, then. They were different, and his reaction was different. Now you see that not only in Israel but elsewhere as well, people are are resistant to to what might have been an automatic reaction to any kind of a scandal in the past. Right. And I do believe that people have a right, especially in this age when people can accuse people, can make wild accusations or even imply things, and ruin people over it. Right. And but I think I, they have a right to defend themselves. But I would, the, right, but I would also argue that we've seen plenty of cases where when it is a really serious charge, the media pressure becomes too much and they end up resigning. And we could, see, we could cite so many cases just from this area on that. Here, again, because as you indicated, you know, there, there's a degree uh, of, of this case that just is not as serious as other charges. So I think he can get away with, uh, you know, even if, it does, uh, um, if they end up indicting him, I think he can get away with uh, not resigning. And then uh, if the process proceeds and, in fact, does, um, if there's a, a conviction or anything of that kind, I, and I, we don't know what he'll actually do if there is a, a, an indictment, but he has made clear that till now that he wouldn't resign. And there are questions about what Israeli law requires. I mean, we've heard different interpretations, but I don't think he would have said that if he wasn't confident that, that that would be allowed. And isn't it amazing that my entire theory is based on how the media treats them? It's all based on that. If the media decides to apply pressure that's that's just, you know, insurmountable, then government leaders, as again, as we've seen, will have no choice but to resign. They won't be able to, to resist. They won't be able to, to deal with the pressure. You're really talking about public opinion much more than you are talking about just about the media. It's the combination because public opinion is shaped by the by the media to a large degree, and it's the information that people get that determines how they will view things. And as you know, in Israel, we have a, there is a media that is very um, anti-Netanyahu, very limited media that is pro-Netanyahu. And uh, there is also, you know, the fatigue. There's a lot of things that when a prime minister has been in office as long as he has, but you still don't see anybody emerging. And now, with the, there will be some shift in labor as a result of the Jewish agency, um, the likely election of, of uh, Bushy Herzog to the, be the chairman of the Jewish agency and opening up a uh, position there. And will they bring Benny Gantz in, the former uh, chief of the IDF? Uh, General Benny Gantz has been rumored to be uh, uh, 
negotiations with labor, and the chairman of labor said that he that they would let him uh, step in and be the leader of the labor party. And if he wins, then he'd be prime minister. If he loses, he would step out, and uh, Gabay would go back in. Oh, so it's part of the Byzantine-Israeli politics so that nobody now, understands completely. No, but but, na- but now I understand it better. When I first heard that Herzog was getting this appointment, so I said to myself, "Oh, brilliant Netanyahu move! You know, he's taking him and and you know, basically tossing him out of the government, one of his key rivals." And then when I read that Netanyahu was against the choice, I was I was scratching my head. Why? You've just told me why. Because because he'd rather him be in and one of his, and one of the greater rivals get the job. Am I right? Yes, to a degree, but it's it's far more complicated, and that's why I talked about, you know, the bizarro political system. The Jewish agency is actually, and was in the past, a very important body. It was an alternative government. Right. You know that the chairman of the Jewish agency in official governmental protocol comes after the president and prime minister wow. as the third important leader of Israel, before mm-hmm. even the speaker of the Knesset. Interesting. And, the, the, you know, the agency had a big budget. It's, it's been pared down over the years, and you have the division between the WCO and the Jewish agency. I know none of your listeners understand anything that I'm saying, because I don't understand it either. Right, you can't blame and, them, right? <laughs> right, and then, and I live with it. I've been part of it for all the years. I tell them all the time, I don't understand anything. People call me about, you know, the candidates all called me, and I said, thank God we're not part of the process. I don't have to vote. Uh, I think there were very good candidates this time. The Prime Minister, as you know, put forward uh, Minister Steinitz, as uh, minister, minister of Energy now, long-term, uh, well, former leftist who became a rightist and, and joined Likud and has been a long-term time associate of, of the prime minister. He was pushing him. Usually the prime minister's recommendation gets accepted. Now they, they've changed the rules somewhat. There's a committee, but I think the majority of the committee are people from the diaspora, and uh, they turned down the prime minister's nominee by a pretty overwhelming vote in favor of Herzog. Some of the other mm-hmm. candidates were former Ambassador Ron Prosor, who many of your listeners sure. know. It was Ambassador UN, very mm-hmm. popular, articulate guy, Nachman Shai, mm-hmm. uh, who's been a member of Knesset before that, was, uh, associated with American Jewish organizations, and also very articulate, capable guy. Um, I, I mean, there were many in that ilk who were uh, serious candidates and you know, had hearings, uh, you know, were interviewed. And various reasons why this one or that one wasn't accepted, but the um, but clearly prime minister's candidate usually in the past would emerge as the as accepted. Even Sharansky had a fight when he was nominated uh, a number yeah, of years ago. I remember that right. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web and on the Nachum Siegel Network, and of course, the beloved NSN app. Reminder, we're in the final two days today and next Friday of our spring fundraiser. If you like what we present each day and each week here at JM and the AM, go to fjbunity.org, Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, fjbunity.org, and give as generously as possible. You know, before we get to some of the really pressing news of the day, which I will in a moment, I just got to bring up, because you mentioned meddling in elections as an aside earlier, uh, Mayor Weingarten on the Israel Show earlier this week played the recordings of the um, of the interview that was done with Bill Clinton. Now, my theory is it didn't get the worldwide attention it should because it was during the week of Pesach. But 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 the truth is that it may not have gotten the uh, the international attention that it should simply because it was Bill Clinton. And there are many people out there who hesitate to to criticize him. I mean, he had audio on this show of him 
100% admitting that he had a preference in the Netanyahu-Paris election, 1996, and that he and others in his administration did what they could to, to quote-unquote guarantee or work toward a Paris victory. And it's amazing that with all this stuff going on over the last so many months about election meddling, that people don't, don't, don't realize that our own president of the United States in the 90s was doing this and admitting to it. It is, um, you know, it, I know that people were, were taken aback by the report. I've read some accounts of it. Uh, but I, I have to tell you, we at that time knew a lot of it, not the degree to which perhaps they were meddling, but they certainly made their preferences clear. We knew about the tensions between Clinton and Netanyahu and uh, the reasons why he would have wanted to uh, try to influence the outcome. I don't believe that uh, there's any evidence that, that, in fact, American meddling in that or other elections uh, actually impacted the outcome. In some cases, I know experts who have told me that they believe it has the reverse effect. Hmm. Israelis don't like... They don't like to be told what to do, huh? Right. <laughs> we know. I'm a surprise to you. <laughs> we know. We know that from our tradition. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know that that's not, not the point. Obviously, whether it had an effect or not is secondary. The primary thing is that that the that the president of the United States not only you know expressed a uh, you know a a preference, but really set up people to to work with Israel to work with the Paris campaign to. To get elected, to do what was necessary to get elected, it was the whole thing is outrageous. I think that I think what really got us uh, led by Mayer in this case was simply that it didn't get the attention of CNN, Fox News, and others. Like it, it didn't even make. If you Google it, you'll find it in a bunch of Israeli websites, and that's about it. I, I just because I don't think people honestly, I don't think most people in the media who knew what was going on are that surprised. I know not it's it's um, yeah, but disturbing su- and all that, but but surprise is not the that. issue. It's it's one of the biggest What's issues. What's surprising is that he would say it so blatantly, right? And, and acknowledge it, and not think of consequences because he. I think they just accepted that it was something they did, and and I don't even know how much they. Well, they didn't go public with it, but um, so we've it, had other presidents who have helped uh, or try to help certain candidates in Israel, sending advisors or encouraging people to go and help them. Hmm. All right. I always think that if today's administration would bring up a story like this, maybe it would have some impact because, you know, obviously the question of election meddling is so central right now. Very essential. I agree with you. To so many stories that we read. Oh, I'm glad that it gets out that people understand what is happening and sometimes why we react to things that they don't understand why, but because we know or heard that some things were going on, pro one side or pro the other. All right, understood. All right, the United States has officially left the Human Rights Council of the UN. Is it official? It is official. That's pretty amazing. Or tell us, maybe, maybe you know, to a layman like me, it seems amazing. You're on the inside. Is it in fact amazing, or it's not that big of a deal? I do think it's a big deal. I think that it's um, uh, uh, long overdue. Not in terms of the United States, but the response to the lies and the promises that were not kept about about reforming the um, the human rights council the united states gave them one morning after another so it was not an abrupt move that some try to portray it in the media there was not a you know some decision all of a sudden to do this uh, she has said it constantly and we see that the pattern continues not just there in every part of the un you know they voted 120 to 8 with you know 50 or some uh, 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 people who abstained, 
uh, countries who abstain, but 128 about Israel defending its border in Gaza. I mean, there's, there's nothing more black and white about it, and w- w- with no condemnation of Hamas, and the American effort to get it condemned didn't get the sufficient majority for it. And uh, so this move, I mean, if one, as you know, I've discussed it many years and many times on this program, talking about, you know, the condemnations of Israel being greater than the number against almost all the other countries combined, Iran, Syria, etc., that uh, the the complete hijacking of these agencies, whose goals initiate initial goals were very lofty, and things we supported, we want a meaningful human rights council that will go after the real violators against the rights of Christians, Muslims, Jews, others. But they don't even do that effectively because they won't challenge the governments that are doing it, doing it, engaged in this activity. And the the United States finally said, enough is enough. The only country to which to which the Human Rights Council devotes a specific item on the agenda. <laughs> I mean, all the other countries are like lumped together in one. Israel has its own item on the agenda, and that a series of resolutions and challenges to Israel's activities, everything that Israel, you know, does, and and it's an annual thing. It's not just that one time this happened. And as you know, Nikki Haley a year ago tried to to get it to be changed and. Right. And I have to say that there were previous administrations that that tried. I think that George Bush suspended uh, the membership in the in the Human Rights Council of the United States for a couple of years, and people criticized him. And we see that it's a corrupt body, fulfilling virtually no purpose, a positive purpose anymore. Not condemning those who really engage in human rights violations, in most extreme cases. And essentially, isn't just another UN body focused on Israel. Now, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, and I don't know, I don't know the answer. But it, has the Human Rights Council been there since the founding of the UN? Like, is it or is it an invention from ten, twenty years ago? Like, how? What kind of history does it have? No, it's very long history. It was established. I mean, it was one of the primary purposes of the United Nations when it was established. It did go through some reforms, and if you remember, the Obama administration, and others made reference to it and said. You know, stay in because if you're out, then you lose a voice and a platform. Right. That has some validity. I was just going to ask you about that, yeah. Uh, but they, it went through reforms, and what came out was worse than what we had before. Right. All right, so now let me prepare you for what's going to happen after Shachris tomorrow because someone's going to walk over to you in shul and say just that. Malcolm, wouldn't it be better if the U.S. is there to defend Israel in the Human Rights Council and to leave in this, uh, you know, in this cloud of dust? And the answer is... No, because we've given them warning after warning without the presence of the United States. It loses legitimacy. You know, regardless of what people may agree or disagree, the presence of the United States is essential for the validity of organizations and pulling our funding from agencies, pulling our support really matters. And I think that, that this demeans the body and it puts the pressure on the others and the Europeans and others to say, how do you justify your staying there? Let's see how they justify it, if they're going to change their votes, if they're going to see a different Human Rights Council. My bet is you, you can't change it. Uh, what was the, um, uh, what was the um, report from the meeting of uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and King Abdullah uh, this week? Any substance to that? So, uh, as I said, I had many meetings during the week with people, and this was one of the issues. Obviously, the situation of Jordan is very delicate. It's very critical to Israel. You know, this is a buffer between Iraq and Iran with Israel's um, uh, border. The, um, the situation inside the country is uh, economically very poor, in addition to the fact that they've absorbed or host uh, um, 
refugees from Syria, still from the war in Iraq, who stayed, I mean, a huge numbers, which puts an economic strain on the country. Then they have the threats on their borders, uh, ISIS and others who, who, and Iran, who will want to penetrate the the Muslim Brotherhood is very active there, and there have been demonstrations ongoing almost consistently. There have been two prime ministers in the last couple of months, and still the situation hasn't stabilized. The Arab countries um, do not pay enough attention and are not happy with the, some things that the king did regarding participating in Yemen and other things, but they put up a fund of $2.5 billion dollars, uh, I understand that only about $50 million or so has gone from Saudi Arabia to Jordan. A lot of the money was meant to be put on deposit with the World Bank to guarantee loans to Jordan, also to the Jordanian Central Bank, in order to stabilize it and in- increase its ability to, to uh, print and, and borrow money. Hmm. Um, and for some other projects, but not money going specifically to the government. The king is, is very upset. The king is obviously worried about his situation and as you know israel does a lot to enhance israel secure uh, the security of jordan because it does impact israel security right. and the the um you know it, it, it jordan has no natural resources doesn't have um basis for an economy like oil or tourism they're trying to build those things up and israel's help they're trying to do joint projects near the the Dead Sea and uh, other things, uh, helping improve agriculture, um, maybe these massive projects that's talking about near uh, Aqaba and on the Saudi side and the Jordanian side. But the fact is that still you don't have, um, you know, high-tech industry, you don't have other things, even though in the past there were qualified industrial zones, joint production, Israeli companies producing Jordan came to hostile Whatever, and you still have a problem with the population, you know, in terms of accepting Israel. And then every once in a while, there's some source of tension, you know, the shooting at the embassy, some other thing that comes up that sets it back. And the Muslim Brotherhood and people and others are there to to exploit it. Of course, they would like to topple the king. They they would like to topple everybody who doesn't follow their line. And you have the Iranians playing mischief because they want to see Shiite governments and and or governments oriented towards them. The Turks and Erdogan is active in many places, by the way, both of them very active in um, Jordan and Turkey and Saudi Arabia in Jerusalem, helping them buy property, giving money and grants. Um, But for Jordan, the question is, is there a way to stabilize it? How would, um, can Israel, maybe in some confederation, it might be a solution for the Palestinian problem. Others are all examining these issues, as we've done for, uh, I've been involved with studies and efforts like that for 30 years. So far, there's no solution, and Jordan is uh, is in, in dire circumstance. Wow, but you've reminded us how important it is for Israel to have a strong or at least stable Jordan, or at least... Critical. Look at the side. Just look at a map and look at the border, how yeah. long the border is, and what it would mean if if... If Jordan were to be taken over, it gives Iran direct access to the West Bank. Right. I just never realized to what degree Iran or the Muslim Brotherhood could could immediately have access uh, to leaders mm-hmm. to the leadership role in Jordan. Uh, well, it's hard. It's, it's Iran hard. Iran is taking over in Iraq. Yeah. So if they have Iraq is on the border of Jordan, they just go right through. It's hard for Israel to prop up a neighbor. Like there's only a limited amount of influence Israel could have when trying to do that. 
first of all, on the security front, Israel does a lot to protect the border on Syria, the Jordanian border in Syria, when it makes demands about, you know, trying to to stop the the presence of the Iranians, the growing presence of their militia and others, Hezbollah on the border. They threaten Jordan's border too, so it's contiguous with Israel. So you, the, there, Israel, of course, tries to make sure and do what it can to protect that as well. And Jordanian forces um, are there. But remember, you got to if you have a million Syrian refugees, that's very hard to know who's who's a spy, who's a refugee. The king's um, intelligence forces, uh, army are very uh, generally very competent, but this is a, an overwhelming challenge for them and, and everyone. All right, I'm, I'm I'm I continue to be intrigued by these regular conversations. It seems between Netanyahu and Putin, and uh, I don't know what you know you discussed with the prime minister this week, but. Uh, again, how substantive are, are these discussions? It seems to it seems based on our conversations, me and you, and I bring this up, that basically Putin continues to do what he wants to do in Syria, and Netanyahu makes it clear that they are there in case something happens that they don't approve of. Is that essentially the, how the conversation goes between the two of them? Well, I think the message, again, each time the prime minister is there is to re- reiterate the red lines um, and what Israel can't accept and and. And, and I don't think Putin wants that either. He doesn't want to see Iran emerge powerful in all this. He wants to see Assad stay in power. And for the reason that we've discussed many times, yeah. that there's really no alternative in that these, you know, you're not going to have free democratic elections in countries like this, right. at least not for the foreseeable future. So he wants to have stability. He wants to assure their hegemony, the Russian presence. You know, his maximum presence there was a small number of troops and 70 planes, uh, and most of the time even a smaller number of uh, planes and a couple billion dollars investment, and he sold probably more in weapons to them than uh, what he put forward. So uh, he, he has, on a very minimal uh, budget has asserted himself as a critical player, and I think Netanyahu recognizing that, and the Israeli government. So f- it's critical that Russia not fire off anti-aircraft when Israeli planes fly over, that they understand that they can't hit Russian targets, so they coordinate. There are hotlines of all kinds to to assure that that is the case. And he, his meetings with, with Putin are to to bolster and to reinforce that Israel cannot accept the growing presence of the militia, and we heard that the militias, uh, maybe the 10,000, other estimates go to 50,000, 80,000, um, but uh, even at 10,000 of them and, and, I don't know, seven, 8,000 Hezbollah guys, that they were putting on the Syrian army uniforms to be able to stay there because they were all banned, Iranian militia are not supposed to be near Israel's borders. So they were putting on uh, Syrian military uniforms in order to cover their presence near Dara and other areas, and they want to be within striking distance, quick striking distance of the Israel border. Hmm. Israel sent them all back with those incredible attacks that, again, I think people don't appreciate, both there and in Gaza. And I reiterate that there were 50-plus attacks, and you haven't heard of one civilian casualty, no collateral damage. It's so amazing. I don't know how people, uh, your listeners, ours, at the world doesn't say, what? 50 bombings and attacks against military targets and done so precisely that you don't have civilian casualties. And they hit again, as you know, with 30 more attacks in response to rockets that are being fired. And these. And again, I, I just want people to understand, don't dismiss these kites and balloons. They're doing immense amount of damage. 
and Israel has to do what it must do to stop this, meaning take out the leaders and the people organizing this. Uh, you know, there were countries that had sent as a, as a gesture to the children in Gaza, these kites or, and oh, stuff, and now they're finding out that they're being used as, as weapons. I mean, uh, this is, these are toys for terror. Unbelievable. And uh, one of the articles I saw... Remember that, that phrase. That's a good one. Do you like that, toys for terror, huh? Uh, <laughs> yes, I thought of it yesterday. I'm going to use it. <laughs> and I was about to go. I was about to go copyrighted until you until you reacted. Um, and on top of that, I saw that Israel. I mean, not not that this is such a such a positive, uh, but they've developed a method using drones to pinpoint where these fires are and get the firefighters to those spots even quicker than usual. So leave it to Israel to even in the face of terror and the toys for terror, as you say, leave it to them to figure out a way to deal with it in even better fashion. And they affix blades, uh, like razor blades, to them so they can cut the strings or the balloons uh, before they hit Israeli territory. Wow, unbelievable. But you also have to think of the children who found these balloons, many of them, and thank God, people you know, caught in time and stuff. But, you know, they land, and they're using uh, hot charcoal. So everybody who's done a barbecue knows you get a charcoal, you know, red hot, and you send it over, and when it touches the ground, it sets fire to it. Unbelievable. The enemy is so clever sometimes. Uh, a couple of trips to Israel to note. Ringo Starr is there, um, believe it or not, all these years later after the Beatles were banned were banned from Israel. So thank God there are entertainers in Hollywood who continue to um, travel to Israel and perform there in the uh, face of, of the BDS movement. And this Prince William visit, which is coming up this week, so apparently his trip to Yerushalayim is being classified as a trip to occupied Palestinian territories. What do you think? You know that the British Foreign Service is mm. dealing with world affairs, but um, I still have the empire. <laughs> Very good. Be, <laughs> Very good. I mean, it, it, it's so typical of of, uh, of them and, and trying to label to deny. You know, his grandmother is buried, uh, buried there, his great-grandmother. In the discussion with Prince Charles, his father, at the Paris funeral grave, and as a result, he told his aides, I want to go there now. And he asked me, if, can I see it from there? And of course he couldn't. And uh, But I told him it's right nearby. I told him I just visited there, that it's safe to go up there now, which is what he asked me, because uh, it's in Harazetim. She's buried on the Mount of Olives in a Christian uh, sector there. And he went. And of course, 10 Downing Street went. Crazy, thank God. They did not know who told them to go. And, uh, <laughs> and I'd be banned. Well, too. now they know. Uh, <laughs> so now that the prince wants to go, just shut up about it. Do it. Nobody nobody cares how you classify it. Just let him go. Visit his grandmother's grave. Why shouldn't he visit the Kotel? I mean, these are, are world-class um, uh, historical monuments, if, even if you don't believe they're religious monuments, which he does, I think. And the, it, it is typical of what the U.N. does, of what the, the British Foreign Service, that they, they are so concerned about the reaction. Just look when the president went. He goes and puts on the Amica, goes to the hotel, declares it a Jewish holy place, the Temple Mount, and not one demonstration anywhere in the Arab world. And look at the response still to the embassy. No demonstrations. Now, I'm not saying everybody loves it or everybody accepts it, but if the, if the and sensitive and goes and he's just as a, he's going as a tourist to visit these places they shouldn't make such a big deal and they should recognize that the the, uh, the Jewish nature thinks he doesn't have to recognize Israeli sovereignty it's not it's not his business it's not the purpose of his trip but now they make a challenge to it right there was no reason to say or mention occupied Palestinian territories 
Uh, finally, Malcolm, uh, what was the reaction in Iran among its citizens to Prime Minister Netanyahu's offer regarding water that we discussed last week? Well, the Prime Minister's people are justifiably proud of the reaction to it, and they, uh, they had tens and thousands of hits on the Iranian website that they created. In fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, hundreds of thousands, but tens of thousands almost immediately, and expressions of appreciation and people uh, uh, posting, uh, we love Israel. <laughs> and this in, on a Farsi language website that the government has, the, uh, the army has, others have, and the prime minister simply said, poured himself a glass of water, which some thought was not necessary, but um, spoke to the Iranian people and said, look, we will help you. We will help your farmers. The country is in such a severe drought. Half the country today is in a severe drought. And they're moving into the cities. Millions of people are on the move and will be on the move because they can't, they can't live. They don't have water. And the, so the Israel is showing, and I think smartly, saying to the Iranian people, look, all that we're doing is not against you. It's against an evil regime that takes away your rights. And here we are even offering the lifeline uh, for, for anybody, any country, which is water. And they're rejecting it. Yeah. Unbelievable. And I think that that video now, according to what I saw on the Daily Alert, is up to 5 million views, which is right. pretty amazing. Um, well, uh, my one of my takeaways from today's conversation, does media opinion shape public opinion or does public opinion shape media opinion? Boy, we could discuss that for a few hours, I would think. Um, I thank you very much for joining us. We will continue uh, next week, please God, and have a wonderful Shabbos. Have a great Shabbos. It's good talk to you. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major, Ameri of Major American Jewish Organizations. Does media shape public opinion? As Malcolm, uh, or does public, no, no, Malcolm said the opposite. Or does public opinion shape the media? Hmm. See, I'm of the, I'm of the former opinion. Media shapes public opinion. Malcolm seemed to indicate that public opinion has a major role in what the media then reports and demands of its, you know, leaders, et cetera, et cetera. I.e. the media pressure when it comes to getting a public official to resign. Hmm. I'm going to think about this one for a while. JM in the AM, one thing you shouldn't be thinking about is whether you should be supporting us here at JM in the AM. Remember, this is the first of our final two days, final two Fridays of our big 5778 spring fundraiser. If you have not yet contributed and you enjoy what goes on here every single day, every single week. If you gain something from this experience, this amazing listening experience I am so proud of, then please keep us going. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, fjb for Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, fjbunity.org, and give as generously as possible. That's something you could do right now, fjbunity.org. If you have an envelope from us, you're on our mailing list, and that means you could just send it right back with a generous contribution. And if you'd like to send something in by mail, it's Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting. That's how you make the check payable. Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, 551 Grand Street, second floor, New York, New York, 10002. Again, Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, 551 Grand Street, New York, New York, 10002. That is how it's done. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Chukas, candle lighting at 810. Um, a lot of synagogues begin earlier than that. Make sure you know when things start where you are. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning 
the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good have Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Chukas. According to the Chinuch, Parshas Chukas contains three positive mitzvos, all related to the Para Aduma, the Red Heifer, which is, wow, something which we cannot understand. Now, I want to begin by noting that if you were to ask me, how do you know that the Torah is divine, that the Torah was not written by any man, it was written by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, by God Himself? How do you know? So I'm going to suggest one way that I know. There are many ways, but one way I believe is Pashas Chukas. What does that mean? If you look at any constitution, each line, each law has to make sense. It was written by man to govern man, and therefore the laws have to be understandable. There are no laws in the American Constitution that simply are beyond our understanding and comprehension. Not so in our Torah HaKedosha. The Rambam at the end of Hilchos Me'ila lists approximately seven, eight chukim. A chok is a law that the Torah has not given us a reason for this particular law. For example, kosher meat by itself is kosher. Milk that came from a kosher animal is kosher. Each one of these two separately, independently, are kosher. Together, that same milk and that same meat is prohibited. Explain to me why. And the answer is, there's only one answer, because Hashem in His Torah has said so. And so it is explained to me. I ask each week a dermatologist in my synagogue, how many cases of shatnes did you have this week? Meaning, how many rashes did you see on a person? Whereby you can say, oh, that's a shatnes rash because you wore wool and linen together. Understandably, there is no such rash, and nothing happens to us, quote, physically, or so we think. But the answer is, the Torah says, don't do it, and we don't. Why? I don't know. We yield to a higher authority. But these laws and this week's parasha, tell me, why is it that someone who, man, woman, who's on the Hebra Kadisha, and it's never a convenient time to do a tahara. They wash the deceased, they dress the deceased, and they come out tamay, impure. And when we go to a funeral and we're under the same roof as the deceased, we have gone and done a mitzvah and we've come to give kavod ames, honor to the deceased, yet we emerge Tomei. Now today, because we don't yet have a Beis HaMikdash, the third temple, and we don't have korbanos, yet the offerings, so there 
is no practical ramification and manifestation of this impurity. When we did, and please God, shortly we'll have that third temple, we will not be able to enter the Beis Amigdash. We will not be able to partake, to eat of Kodshim, to eat of the Korbanos of the offering that will be brought in the Beis Hamikdash, but I'd like to share with you an insight that I saw in the Sefer Hema Yenachamuni by the Tolner Rebbe to give us a little bit more, perhaps, of understanding of the idea of Tuma and Tara, impurity and purity, and he cites. A teaching of the Rambam, which is found in Mishnayis Parah, chapter 3, Mishnah 3, Gimel Gimel in Mishnayis of Parah. And the Rambam writes the following, that there is no difference between a man, a person, who was never Tomei in his life. He was raised and maintains him or herself in a state of absolute Tahara, purity, and somebody who has been Tomei, and then they undergo the process of becoming Tahor pure, by having the ashes of the Pora Aduma and water sprinkled on them on day three and on day seven of their week of purification, afterwards going to a mikvah. There's no difference. They're both halachically pure. However, the Rambam writes, and I quote, Shezeh ashahuzo olav, the one upon whom it was sprinkled, Yoser godol hamadrego betara. He's on a higher level of purity. Why? Lefisha posuk. For Shafat Olav Shahutahor. Because the Torah has ordained about this person that he is pure. What does that mean? It means that he has gone through a state of impurity, and now that he has attained the purity after the seven days and the sprinklings and the mikvah, then he is pronounced tohor. So being pronounced tohor, you are on, quote, that higher level. And he buttresses this and says, take a look. There's a famous Gemara in Brachos 34b, where the Gemara says the following, Makom Shabali Tshuva Omdim, a place where the penitent, the one who, forgive me, was the sinner, and now they have gone through the process of redoing their personality, redoing their actions. Yesteryear did not keep Shabbos. Yesteryear did not keep kosher, etc. Mokom, a place where these Bali Tshuva, these penitents stand, Tzadikim Gemurim Enon Omdim, the complete righteous ones cannot stand, which means that the penitent the one who has done tshuva is on a higher level than even a tzaddik. Number one, 
you could say because the tzaddik, forgive me, never sinned, doesn't know the, quote, taste of sin. Here, the Baal Tshuva, quote, had the, quote, good life, enjoyed the materialism, enjoyed the immorality, and now he realizes, wow, what he has, and therefore he appreciates what he has, and that regard might very well be on a higher level. I believe that this Rambam actually can talk to each and every one of us. And in each, every one of us, ideally, has to be that Baal Tshuva, that individual. How so? I really believe that everybody undergoes challenges, crises in their life. We don't look for it the same way people did not look for tumor, for impurity. The same way that on a physical sense, Baruch Hashem, we can walk on our two feet. When we say every day, HaMechin Mitzadei Gover, God, thank you for my ability of locomotion, and I'm able to walk and go from here to there by myself without a crutch and without a cane and without a wheelchair. It's only the one that unfortunately breaks his or her leg. And after they've gone through the process of surgery and the cast and rehab, and then, wow, they appreciate. Now, ideally, we all know we should appreciate. What's true physically is true spiritually. We should appreciate Shabbos because, wow, not only is it the source of bracha, but this is our opportunity to really, each and every one of us, grow individually in their spirituality. The Yushalmi says, amazing, that Bekoshi Hitiru, that with difficulty did our rabbis permit us to even greet one another Shabbat Shalom. And we know how important that is, greeting each other Shabbat Shalom. But the concept is that on Shabbos, wow, um, I have the capacity to enter a higher stratosphere, something which I just don't have all week long, be it the incredible distractions of the phone and everything else about us. Now, wow, that complete and total change that I have with Shabbos, this is the ability to go from, forgive me, Tuma Tatara on a weekly basis. But I'd like to take it that one step beyond, that we're all Baalei Tshuva. What does that mean? It means the Baal Tshuva who undergoes his crisis, whatever the particular crisis is, comes out stronger at the end. Each and every individual has their, forgive me, peckle, has their lot in life or challenge. People have a challenge with addiction of all different sorts. People have challenges, lo'alenu, 
with children who don't always give them the ideal nachas that they would want if they could write the nachas program. People have problems in business trying to make ends meet. Problems in health, lo'aleinu. Problems in shalom bayis. There are so many different challenges that come our ways. Comes along parshas chukas and says, Zos chukas Torah. The same way I can't understand why death imparts impurity. Even though Rav Hirsch, I can tell you, suggests very sharply, consciously or subconsciously, we might question God's judgment, and that might put us into a state of spiritual impurity. But the bottom line is that as a result of our being in these situations of challenge, most often we emerge all the stronger we emerge all the better. Odomarishon needed a helpmate. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he was alone in this world. God showed him all the animals. And guess what? It's only after Hashem shows him the animals and he gives names, which means he looks and he sees, no, 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 none of this is fit for me. Ah, Zosapam. Now that he was without, then, wow, he says, this is the one for me that he appreciated Chava all the more. Pasha's Chukas is a difficult Parsha. We don't understand Chukim. We don't understand the laws of the Torah, such as the Pora Aduma, and such as the Egla Arufa, and such as the Soir Amishtaleach. These are all laws that are beyond our comprehension. But I believe Zos Chukas HaTorah, this is the way, and especially of the Torah observing Jew, to recognize and realize that the challenges of life come from on high. And he, says the Ramban, in the end of Pasha's Vayera, does not give us a challenge that we can't overcome. He gives us the tumor, he gives us the struggle, but at the same time, he gives us the Tara, the process of purification, the Amuna, the Bitochon, that through our struggles and through our challenges, we will be on that greater Madrega of Tara, as the Rambam writes, and I quote again, Yoser Godol, HaMadrega Bitara, greater is that degree of purity, literally, psychologically, the Torah helps elevate the Jew. Ashrenu Matov Chalkeinu, how privileged we are to have the Torah get us through all our challenges. Shabbat Shalom to all.
JM in the AM. There you have it. Yaakov Shweki, Kamu Vaneha. Uh, candle lighting at 810 on this Arab Shabbos Parshas Chukas. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. It is the uh, latest Shabbos of the year, I believe. If I'm not mistaken. Maybe this weekend next. Um, I know that yesterday was the first day of summer, so the longest day, that's for sure. Um, Sunday, Matis hosts JM Sunday. That happens Sunday morning between 7 and 9 a.m. Make sure to join Matis. He's live every Sunday between 7 and 9. Does an amazing job. Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami happens tomorrow night. At 9 o'clock, just a few minutes from now, table for two starts with Naomi Nachman. It's her season finale. Naomi is joined by Miriam Schreiber of Kosher Legacy Tours, Maishi Schoenfeld from Asi's Fish, Yitzi Katz from Kosher GPS, and Misha from Sushi, from Sushi Tokyo. My gosh. That is some lineup coming up between 9 and 10. At 10 o'clock, the uh, Erev Shabbos show. Mark Zamek, presented by our friends at Kedem, and then the Erev Shabbos music mix, all the way until candlelighting time, and that is presented by our friends at Kedem as well. So we have quite a lineup all day. One thing we do notice, a lot of people <laughs> tune in to us on Friday, especially Friday uh, afternoon. Um, so everybody all day long, no matter what you're listening to, continue to enjoy. And uh, those of you out there who have not yet given to our spring fundraiser, we are encouraging everybody to support us to whatever degree you can. Give what you can at fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. That is the foundation for Jewish broadcasting. Next week, a special guest will join me live in the studio for some final words about the final day of our fundraiser for this spring season. But before we get to that, don't forget to get your donations in, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Org, and we thank you. J.M. the A.M., Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, as we continue with um, a brand-new album by Shlaimi Gertner. He's out with a brand-new one, as uh, so many people are. We had an amazing day yesterday with Yehuda Green, his brand-new album. If you haven't seen the Facebook Live video yet, get there. Get there ASAP, facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network, and enjoy that encounter we had yesterday in studio right here at JM in the AM. Here's Shlaimi Gertner. Hey, everybody, come along to the ride. Hey, are you really going to stay inside? Yeah, put your hands in the air. Yeah, we're going somewhere. Hey, everybody, come along for the ride. Hey, are you really going to stay inside? Yeah, put your hands in the air. Oh, yeah, we're going to be there. So much stuff is going on Leave it to Hashem He's the one in control Tensions high, pressure rise You can leave it all behind Let a new dimension take
come along for the ride. Hey, are you really gonna stay inside? Yeah, put your hands in the air. Yeah, we're going somewhere. Hey, everybody, come along for the ride. Yehuda Green, brand new. Yehuda's Nigun off of the Neshamala album. Phenomenal. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Chukas. If you missed the uh, Facebook video, go to facebook.com slash Nachum Siegel Network for the Facebook Live conversation that happened yesterday between me and Yehuda Green. Live music and more was a pretty amazing studio visit yesterday right here at JM in the AM. Time taken Shabbos, it's Journeys at JM in the AM. Say good job, cause all your work is done. 
Sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com. On the NachumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Oh, yes. Baruch Hashem. Another amazing week. And don't forget, next week, we have another incredible week coming up here at JMM, including on Thursday morning, the author of the book about Rabbi Mayer's Lotowitz. His vision, wisdom, and warmth lit up the world. The book authored by Rabbi Yisrael Besser. Rabbi Yisrael Besser will be in our studio here at JM in the AM this coming Thursday morning. We are very much looking forward to it. If you have a chance to read the book before the interview, go for it. Go to artscroll.com or your local bookstore and get it. We look forward to that in-studio, face-to-face encounter this coming Thursday. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Naomi Nachman's next with Table for Two, Erev Shabbos Show with Mark Zomik, sponsored by Kedem, Erev Shabbos Music Mix. 
sponsored by Kedem Avrami tomorrow night. Mat this Sunday morning from 7 until 9 a.m. Eastern Time, live with JM Sunday. Have a great Shabbos, great weekend. Till Monday, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.